Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we begin the 13th chapter of the book of Mark. In the middle of Jesus' last week in Jerusalem, leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus takes a moment to pull back the veil into the future and teach his disciples about what is going to happen to the beautiful city of Jerusalem and the temple that stood there. We'll just get into the introduction in the first four verses this week, and for the sake of time, we're going to let Pastor Jim get right to it. Here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, When Will These Things Be? They sat on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and that's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. Matthew has the fullest record. There's some in Mark and some in Luke, that, a few details that aren't in Matthew. As I said, we'll, we'll put it all together. Now, as with any text of the Bible, and especially with narrative portions such as the, the Gospels, it's important that we know the historical context. Good job, Scott, for reviewing the three most important rules of hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. I gave them to you two weeks ago. He reviewed them last week. They are context, interpret according to context, and don't forget the context. Context, context, and context. Always the Bible has to be interpreted in its context. When, when someone asks you a question, they're using words. They know what they mean by those words. They know what they expect you to understand those words to mean, and they want an answer in words that they can understand. So let's interpret it in its context, not what we think it ought to, ought to say, but what, how, when did this actually happen? How does it fit in? Well, the sermon took place in what we refer to as Passion Week. That's the shorthand for the period of time between Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem and his first post-resurrection experiences. Now, leading up to that, you've got a really good idea of what has been happening from our studies in Mark. In the fall of A.D. 29, Jesus came to the region called Judea, the area around Jerusalem, as distinct from Galilee, the area up north where he did most of his public ministry. That winter, 29, he ministered for a few months in the area to the east of Jerusalem, across the Jordan River, the region called Perea. Early that spring was when he returned to Jerusalem. Now, he sneaked into Jerusalem for a real real quick trip a few weeks before that. He came and raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And then he went back to Perea. Then he made the final trip to Jerusalem. He made that familiar trip up that winding road. Having been in Perea, they crossed the Jordan River. That brings you to the city of Jericho. And from Jericho up to Jerusalem is a a winding road that climbs nearly 4,000 feet in elevation in 20 miles. There's a very good analogy if you're studying the Bible and you live here. That would be like leaving church this morning and walking to Bogus Basin. Very much the same. A winding road, except that one was dirty and dusty and infested with robbers. That road was the setting, by the way, for the story of the Good Samaritan. It happened along that road. 
as Jesus portrayed it. Now, on the way up the hill, Jesus knew that this growing throng of people with him were expecting him to do something spectacular. He knew they expected him to go to Jerusalem and inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth. Therefore, along the way, he told them a parable. I've told you this as we study Mark, but I want to refresh your mind on it because it's very significant. It's in Luke 19, 11 through 14. It says, while they were listening to these things, he, he was teaching as he walked, and he had the 12 and, a, and let's say, an ever-growing group. He, they were listening to these things. Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. You can understand why they were excited, if that's what they thought. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas. Those aren't birds. Those are um, amounts of money. Gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. So as he headed to Jerusalem, Jesus began to set the stage for the the final things that he was going to do and teach. And that passage from Luke 19 gives you very important clues about the environment in which the Olivet Discourse is set. And it talks a little bit about the age in which we live. They supposed the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. That means it was the expectation of the followers of Jesus that He was about to launch the kingdom of God. Where did they get an idea like that? They read the Bible. They had what we call the Old Testament. They knew there was a promise of the the seed of the woman. There was the promise of the Messiah. There was the promise of the king. There was the kingdom that that was coming. They believed that Jesus was the king. He's headed to Jerusalem. Everything is building to a climax. So that tips us off to the thinking of the Jews, believing ones, actually following Christ, concerning what they were expecting to happen when the Messiah came. Now, we'll see a lot more on that later. So he said, therefore, this parable. He spoke the parable in specific response to this expectation of the beginning of the kingdom. In other words, he explained that what was actually going to happen was not precisely what they expected to happen. It wasn't that something different was going to happen. The kingdom was going to come, but the timing wasn't what they thought it was going to be. It wasn't going to be immediately. So, The parable describes this nobleman who went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. So what he's saying is the kingdom is going to go away, or the king is going to go away and then return. So the kingdom's not going to come immediately. And the rest of the parable is about how to conduct yourself in the time between the departure of the king and his return to establish the kingdom. So he gives them this money, and he says, 
Do business with this until I come back. He expects you to live a life of consistent faithfulness while you are looking for and patiently waiting for the fulfillment of a promise. So he introduced the fact there's going to be a time of stewardship in which we have to manage what is entrusted to us in the absence of the king, the physical absence of the king, before he's going to return and set up the kingdom. The other important bit of background embedded in that parable is the hint that we've seen Jesus elaborate upon extensively during Passion Week that he was going to be rejected yet again, and this time with finality, by the leaders of the Jews. The citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now there's a, a, quite a bit of similarity between that parable in Luke 19, the parable of the minas, and a similar parable we're going to see in the Olivet Discourse. It's not in Mark, but Matthew includes it in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and that's the parable of the talents. Now, minas are not birds, and talents are not the ability to do magic tricks. Um, they're both descriptions of amounts of money that are entrusted to people. The rejection of the Messiah by the Jewish leaders was a big deal. It leaves unfinished business between God and the nation of Israel. And that, in part, is what the Olivet Discourse addresses. Uh, you, you understand that, that God isn't taking away any of His promises from Israel, but He's told Israel, told those leaders, your house is being left to you desolate. I'm turning my back on you, it, it, it will seem, for a while because of your rejection of me, of the Savior. So a couple of things are going on. The people were looking for Jesus to do something spectacular at this feast. But remember also, we've seen that they were even speculating about whether He was going to come to Jerusalem for this feast or not. Well, why wouldn't He? Well, Humanly speaking, you might not go where you know that someone has put out a hit on you. Jesus was to be killed. He was to be identified, ratted out, arrested, and put to death. That's what they wanted. So there was that speculation mixed with the excitement about He's coming, but is He really going to come? There was that going on. Also, the leaders of the Jews all this time were plotting to seize Him, But the excitement about Him coming got in their way and frustrated them no end because they were afraid that if they arrested Jesus, they would be lynched because He was so popular. So there's a lot going on here that sets the stage for this discourse. Now, we know that as Jesus headed to Jerusalem, came from the east, He came up the winding hill, that brings you up to the the east side of the Mount of Olives, and there's a little village there called Bethany. He stopped off there. Bethany's the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the one whom he had raised from the dead. It was also at that place when he stopped off there that Mary Magdalene anointed Jesus with that vial of costly perfume. That too had prophetic significance. Well, word got out, Jesus is getting near Jerusalem. 
There's a growing crowd that's been coming with him. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.